Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. So just for a moment, would you just lift your voice to heaven and would you magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords that is already apparently in this place. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you for meeting us here. We thank you for your spirit that we feel, the presence of God that is so apparent, Lord. We're asking you, Lord, to have your way and let the spirit of God move and minister however you see fit, Lord. We praise your holy name, and everybody said in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to join me tonight in the book of Luke. We're going to read chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. Luke 19 and 11. Bible says, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. In verse 13, and he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. Now we're kind of picking up here in the middle of something. We're going to take a little bit of a journey this evening. We may jump back and forth a couple times, but hopefully by the end of the night, everything will kind of be a cohesive unit and make more sense because I'm going to speak to you from this subject, kingdom business. Can anybody say that? Kingdom business business. I'm here to do kingdom business. Would you lay your Bibles down? Let's pray one more time. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this holy word, Lord, that you've so freely given us. Help us to never take it for granted, God, but to always enduringly hold fast to the truths that we find in it. I'm asking you to anoint us tonight together Speak to our hearts, and we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Occupy till I come. September the 17th, 2011, in Zuccotti Park, New York City, a movement began by the name of Occupy Wall Street. It's said that the movement originated from a Canadian anti-consumerist pro-environmental group called Adbusters, and it received national and global recognition. Perhaps you've heard of it. The protest was inspired by the anti-austerity protests in Spain that happened earlier that same year and is said to have originated out of the Arab Spring in the Middle East. 
occupiers, people that came to that movement to join that movement, listed their cause as protests against social and economic inequality. They were protesting against corporate greed, corruption, and the perceived undue influence of corporations on government. To some, and I say that very lightly, to some, on the surface, it would appear that their cause was a noble one. It would appear that their movement was born out of a genuine concern or a genuine desire to make what they perceived wrong right. After all, they adopted the slogan, we are the 99% referring to income inequality in America and the wealth distribution between the wealthiest 1% of the rest of the population. However, it is my opinion that their movement was far from any concern for any fellow man of any respect. Really and truly, it was just the opposite of that. At the core, the motivating force and the mentality behind it all was simply one word, entitlement. Occupy Wall Street came out of our college campuses, out of, out of our younger generation, if you will, for an, an entitlement that I have what's coming to me and it, it belongs to me. I'm entitled to it. You see the ad that they published out of Canada called the group together, the protesters together, and they simply said, bring your tent and bring your demand. That's all you need, a tent and a demand. No solutions, no answers, just demands. And so they did, and so they came, and so they sat, occupying, occupying Wall Street. You see, at some point in this country, I don't know when it happened, perhaps it was long before I was born, but somewhere along the way, this country at least, a man's responsibility has become somewhat of antiquity. Responsibility for your own actions, responsibility for what you do in life has almost become unheard of. Can somebody say amen to that? We live in a world where men believe that they should have everything that they want without anything paid for it. Everything should be mine because I want it and it belongs to me just because maybe I was born. You see, things that were once earned by a hard day's work are now expected with nothing in return, absolutely nothing. You see, there is an apparent entitlement mentality that has swept all across this world, and I'm certainly not here to be political tonight, and I'm certainly not here to talk only about the world because we are fooling ourselves, and I say this respectfully, if we don't understand and don't realize that that same mentality can find its word, its, its place right here among us. And in some cases, some cases in the church world, it already has. If we're not careful, it could, it could get in us. It could start in our minds. It, it begins with an individual mindset, and it has the ability to spread like cancer. We saw this in the Occupy movement. It begins with one individual thought, and it has the ability to spread an inverted and entitled me, myself, 
I deserve this mentality. In the text we read tonight, Jesus began a parable in Luke 19. Let's look at the remainder of that for just a moment, and it will be quite a lengthy reading, so please, if you would like, follow along on the screen or follow along in your Bibles. The Bible says that he called ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that he was returned, having received the kingdom. And he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. But he said, For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. You see, Jesus often used parables. We know this, and he used them to explain and give understanding to the kingdom of God. Essentially, that's what he is doing here. Parables were often relatable to people that he was speaking to because they were practical. They were, they were relevant to their own way of life, and they were relevant to their own ways of making a living. You see, it got down right to where they were living. It touched them right where they were. Parables often involved agriculture, people, finances, Sounds like business to me. Seems like a sacrilegious thing to say, but hear me today. The kingdom of God and everything on this earth operates by the same means. People, finances, sounds like business to me. You see, there's order to all of this. There's a plan. There's lines. There's limits and goals. And there is an intended expectation of success. Seems as though somewhere along the way, just like the mentality of entitlement has entered in, it seems that somewhere along the way a misconception entered the minds of people, somehow affirming that what they have received has come with no strings attached. That salvation somehow comes with nothing attached to it. But hear me tonight, that's simply not the truth because everything has a price and there is nothing that is free. You see, even if you've been given something that's presented free to you, it may be free to you, 
but it costs somebody, somewhere, something. Because nothing, nothing is for free. You see, Jesus is telling a story here. It resulted from a conceived mindset of the people around him that the kingdom of God would freely and immediately appear upon his entry into Jerusalem. They, they suspected that as he entered in the city that he would triumphantly overturn the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom on earth. But unfortunately for them, that was not the case. He illustrates to them a delayed nature of the kingdom and the responsibility and the culmination and the consummation of that kingdom and the business that should be carried out while he is away. That's all there is to it. He confirms the reward, but hear me, he warns of the consequences of its misuse and its wrong handling and what has been freely given the misuse of that. I understand that it's quiet right now, and it should be, because this is serious business. So what is the kingdom business? What are we talking about, and what was Jesus so adamant about. I believe that everything could be summed up in the statement that previously was stated before all of this began, Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is not the first time that Jesus has ever said something upon this wise. No, in Matthew 18 and 11, he made a similar statement when he said, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. You see, that's everything that he did. That's everything that he said. Everything that Jesus did all resulted in him seeking to save that which was lost. You see, the seek and the save mission dominated his talk. It consumed him. It drove him and it dictated to him every move that he made. He illustrated the lost. He talked about the lost. He went to the lost. He embraced the lost. Everything he did reached toward a lost and dying world. He illustrated it time and time again. In Luke 15, he talked about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. It equals lost humanity, lost responsibility, and lost relationship. You see, Jesus primary goal was to draw sinners unto himself and he sought them out for one purpose and one purpose only and that was to exemplify and to show us what seeking and saving looked like. His message was repentance and his goal was simply the saving of the soul. The Bible says that there is joy among the heavenly hosts when only one sinner repents. He, he, he went to Abraham before he went to, 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 to take down Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham got him down to only 10 people. Will you, will you save the city if there's 10 righteous? And he said, I will. You see, it's about seeking and saving humanity. That's what he's always been about. It was then, it was now, it is now, and it will always be. It will remain the purpose of the kingdom until he returns. He, he, he came to seek 
and to save that which was lost. And let me tell you tonight, if we have repented of our sins, if we have been baptized in the precious name of Jesus, if we have been filled with the Holy Ghost, we have entered into a kingdom and a kingdom has entered into us and now his purpose has become our purpose and we must conduct ourselves accordingly. Can we just lift our hands for a moment and can we thank him for the kingdom and for what he's done for us? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. We bless your holy and wonderful name. Jesus' name. He said, occupy till I come. In our Western culture, when we hear the word occupy, we immediately imagine the act of taking up space. I, I, I tried this out on several people. I asked them, what, what, do you, what do you think the word occupy means? I don't know. I guess it just means going somewhere and being somewhere in a place, taking up a place, residing in a place. It's the same question, the same answer over and over and over, occupy, occupy. So when we hear that word, we immediately imagine just the act of taking up space or simply taking up residence in a place. But when military entities occupy a region, they don't just sit there. It's called occupying, but they're not just sitting there. They're doing business. They're working there. They're carrying out business in that place. The dictionary defines the word occupy as reside or have one's place of business. Jesus used the word, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce it, Greek word, pragmatemahu, which means to busy oneself with, to trade to be occupied in anything, to carry on a business, to carry on a business of a banker or trader. It comes from a root word, pragma, which is where we get our word pragmatic. It means sensible business. By implication, an affair. By extension, an object, whether it be material, a business, matter, thing, or work. It's business. It's business. Hear me today. And I'm talking to the choir, I understand that, but it should be the practice and it should be the business of every Bible-believing Acts 2.38 soul sitting in this building to carry out proper kingdom business and to be about our Father's business. That's what he said, I've got to be about my Father's business. This is kingdom purpose and kingdom purpose must be carried out by proper kingdom business and kingdom business is saving souls period I believe to understand this fully we must take one final step backward before we move forward again and see the whole picture contextually Luke 19 1 through 9 Bible says that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus which was the chief among the publicans and he was rich and he sought to see Jesus who he was and he could not for the press because he was little of stature and he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, 
Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says that Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree just to see Jesus. And when he was seen by him, was called down unto him. And when he came to him, he, uh, he immediately understood his need for the master. When he understood his need for the master and Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, I'm coming to abide with you, the people started murmuring. Wait a minute. He's a sinner. He's a publican. And he's going to spend time with him. But somehow or another, before Jesus was able to respond to this, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, if I've taken anything by any means, by thievery, I restore it fourfold. I give it back. You see, it's in this moment that Zacchaeus assumed responsibility for his own actions and committed himself to fourfold restoration. I don't have time to read it tonight, but he's referring to Exodus 22 and 1 and Numbers 5 and 10 where the Bible says if you have stolen a man's sheep or ox and accidentally killed it, then you are to restore four of them for the sake of one. He's saying I will restore what I have taken and send it back to where it's supposed to be. Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, I understand my need for you and I understand now what I need to do. I have been made right, now I need to make others right. I, I, I understand that I, I have been redeemed, now it's time for me to be the redeemer. It's time for me to pay it forward. That's what Zacchaeus did. You see, it all goes back to the garden. It was, it was what was stolen through means of deception and through thievery. It all boils down to redemption and restitution. Hear me today. Nothing, nothing ever happened, nothing ever will happen that will be random around the Lord. Nothing by accident ever happened around him. He sought out situations in order to reveal the mission unto others. He sought out situations to be able to reveal his mission to the world. You see, Zacchaeus had an encounter with the master and was given an opportunity. But in that moment, he understood his requirement as well. He went into it knowing and he went into it wanting strings attached he understood that there had to be some strings attached he understood that there had to be an exchange or a reconciliation for what had been taken so let's look at this from someone else's perspective that knows all too well about this concept Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, 
that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled unto God. Paul said that he has given us the ministry and the word of reconciliation. Can I say it like this? He said it to the Corinthians church concerning their responsibility of ministry and their responsibility of spreading the gospel to the whole world. You see, Paul understood all too well what it meant to be redeemed, but he also understood the responsibility that lied upon his own shoulders for that redemption. He understood that responsibility comes with the gift. He reiterated that gift, the Holy Ghost is the earnest of the Spirit, and he told them of a guarantee and of a confidence of a soon coming future and a soon dwelling place with the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5 and 6 through 8. But then in verse 9 and 10 of the same chapter, he said that he balanced the guarantee of that rapture He balanced it with the importance of living in the world right now. He balanced it with a future judgment. He also balanced it with being in in right relationship now. So there are strings, and they are firmly attached. Essentially what Paul is saying is that the gift is given for a reason and that the awareness of the impending judgment should call us to action. It should make something rise up in us, a motivation, if you will, to reach others with the truth. Paul said that Jesus has given us, hear me, given us the ministry of reconciliation. He said he's given us the word of reconciliation freely given, but there is responsibility. You see, that word ministry, we all know, means service. It means service of those who are commanded of God to proclaim and promote the the gospel to the world. That word reconciliation, the word is catalage, which means an exchange. It means figuratively an adjustment or a restoration to divine favor or atonement. An exchange of business, an exchange of money, an exchanging of equivalent values. In other words, hear me tonight, Jesus already paid the price. He already laid down his life and paid the price for our sins. He exchanged his blood in order to remit our sins and purchase our salvation but it did not end there. With that came the responsibility for me to do the same thing. You see, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. There are strings attached. There is a responsibility that lies on every single one of us under the sound of my voice, whether we're sitting here physically or where we're listening to it by means of of our internet. There are responsibilities for every child of God. He took it one step further and said that we are ambassadors for Christ. He took it one more step already We're already into this deep. (laughs) 
But he wrapped it all up and said, you're ambassadors now for Christ. We are ambassadors. That word by implication means to act as a representative at its very base. The word is presbyteros. It's where we get our word presbyter. It means elder in age. So what is Paul saying here? You've been given something. You've been given a gift. You've, been ha- you've had something placed upon you, and you've had something placed in you. Now you represent that. It's time to grow up. It's time to be, it's time to be who he says he, he called you to be, and it's time for you to work in the kingdom. An ambassador is a diplomat, usually placed in an, in an area, a region, maybe a country that is part of another country. He's there operating. He's there being an ambassador. He's there being a representative. Hear me tonight. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're not from here anymore. You're from there. But you have to live here, and you have to represent him correctly. We are ambassadors. We are to grow up in him, and we are to represent him, and we are to follow him. When Jesus said, follow me, he said, imitate me. He said, what I do, that's what you do. Everything I say, that's what you say. Everything that I go, that's where you go. It's time to follow him. It's time to put our nose to the, to the grind, and it's time to work in the kingdom and be like Jesus. Just to sing an old song, went like this, very simple, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory. All I ask is to be like him. Would you let that be your prayer tonight? I want that to be my prayer tonight, to be more and more like him the closer that I get to be like him. How do we be like him? Well, let's just look at what Jesus did. Jesus prayed. Jesus wept over cities. Jesus reached and Jesus sought to save and Jesus went. So if we're going to be like him, we've got to pray. If we're going to be like him, we need to weep over the loss and over the lostness in our cities. If we're going to be like him, we need to reach and we need to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, so have I been sent. Now send I you. You go into the, into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's who we are and that's who we are supposed to be. Jesus denied his flesh and he laid down his life in exchange for mine. And if I am going to be like him, if you are going to be like him, the same is going to be required of us. There are going to be some things that we are going to have to lay down. There are some things that we are going to have to push aside. There are some things that we are going to have to exchange in exchange for the right way to go. You see, I've got to lay down my life the same way that he laid down his life and sacrificed his life. Once heard J.H. Osborne say this, he said, sometimes in order to buy a man, another man has to be spent. There must be an exchange and it must take place. Isaiah prophesied 
of a, of a time just like this. And Jesus himself reads a portion of one such exchange in Luke 4 and 18 through 19. But Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 61, 1 through 6. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's talking about Jesus because the Lord hath appointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison of, to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Here's the exchange. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Hear me, now it switches gears, and they shall build the old waste. They shall rise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the son of the alien shall be your plowman and your vine dressers. But ye, ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourself. He said, this is what it is. It begins with Jesus, but it extends usward. We are first ministered to, but then we become the ministers. Hear me tonight, and I say this respectfully, but there is a calling upon every man, woman, and child under the sound of my voice. Every every man, every woman, every child that has been granted the opportunity to enter into covenant with him has not just been given that for the sake of you having it. It's been given to you so that you can be just like him. And just like him, everything must lead to Calvary and everything must lead to the cross. Hear me tonight, and I'm talking to me. I must understand that the way I'm living my life right now is either reconciling or it is alienating. You see, there's no in-betweens when it comes to God and his word. It's either hot or cold. It's either good or bad. It's either right or wrong. It's heaven or hell. There are no in-betweens. And so my life and the way that I'm living it right now will do one of two things. It will either point toward Calvary and the cross or it will point away from Calvary and the cross. My life and everything that I'm doing will either push them toward it or push them away from it. And hear me, we cannot afford to push anyone away from the cross of Jesus Christ. We have a world to reach, and we have been called according to his purpose. Second Timothy 1 and 9, the Bible says, Who hath called and saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and grace according to his purpose and according to his grace. And so we're going to make our way back to the parable. Parable of the pounds. We read it. It's also called the parable of the minas. It closely follows the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. 
I touched on this earlier, but it illustrated the delayed nature of a full consummation of a heavenly kingdom. It outlined the reward for those who would carefully and reverently carry out kingdom business during that wait. The Lord tells the story of a nobleman who enters a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. He calls his ten servants and delivers unto them ten pounds and instructs them to run his affairs while he's gone. He calls unto them ten servants and ten pounds. Now, this somewhat takes a little bit of a, of a contrast to Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents in that each servant received one pound. The other parable they received according to their own ability, their own talents, some more than others. But in this particular one, he says, ten servants, ten pounds, and instructs them to run his affairs while he's gone. He entrusts them to be administrators or stewards over what they've been given. One minute each, the equivalent of about four months' wages. He said a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this while I'm gone. Speaks to the very fact that before Jesus returns, an extended period of time will pass where we're held accountable for what we've been given. Ten servants, ten pounds, one pound apiece. We've all been given the gift of the Holy Ghost. We've been filled with his spirit. That, that is what qualifies us to be representatives. It's not what you can do. It's not what I can do. It's what we can do. Because we've all been filled with the same spirit. Jesus, hear me. I'm talking to me. So let me talk to me for a minute and you just listen. Jesus expects increase. He expects profit. And he expects a return on his investment. It's important to note that there are 10 servants, all of which were given 10 pounds each. And Jesus is not saying this arbitrarily because as we know, nothing happens by accident. Everything he says, everything he does has a purpose. In fact, the number 10 in Scripture, most of the time it, 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 it represents responsibility. The number 10, responsibility. For example, 10 commandments, 10 virgins, 10 pounds. It's not just a cute story to pass the time. He's not just thinking up campfire stories to tell his disciples as they make their journey. No, he's instructing them. 10 servants, 10 pounds. I'm going to give you something, but I expect you to use it because this is serious business. But one servant is said to have approached this by saying, Master, I hid your money. 
I kept it safe. Certainly seems like a noble saying. I, I kept it safe. I, I put it in a safe place and I kept it for safekeeping. So I don't present to you any new doctrine tonight or anything like that, but I just submit this thought to you. Perhaps the root of the whole matter with this one slothful servant was a feeling of entitlement. Some could argue the unprofitable servant felt inadequate or intimidated by the task at hand, and maybe he felt fear of the unknown. But hear me tonight, he received the same instruction as everybody else. Here's the gift. Invest it while I'm gone, and I'll return. You see, Jesus is all about the church. He's all about instructing the church. But what this all boils down to is an individual mandate. You see, we can go to a giving church. That doesn't mean we're a giver. We can go to a soul-winning church and a revival church, but that doesn't mean that I'm a soul winner and I'm in revival. I'm talking to me. He received the same instruction that all the others received, yet he disobeyed. And so the fact of the matter is this. No matter what the excuse, the fact is it was hid. And hiding what God has given you and keeping it for yourself and what he's invested in you is showing one thing and one thing only. It's lack of faith in him and it's lack of faith in what his word will do. It's lack of faith in him and the transforming power of the gospel because when the servant hid the money by his own admission, he laid it up in a napkin. He hid it. Some commentaries refer to that napkin as a, and I don't mean to be morbid, as a napkin that is laid over the face of the corpse. So that's something that tells me that hiding what God has entrusted to you equals death. Whether we bury it or whether we hide it, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. It's in the transforming of the lives of people around us It's in the transforming the lives of the lost that produces the increase and the profit that he so desires. But if it is kept within, it produces absolutely nothing. And so I say to you tonight, respectfully, I'm saying this to me. In the hour that we live, in the time that we are in, we don't have time for excuses. Excuses will not matter when it's all said and done. Lord, I hid that money and I kept it safe. Nobody could get their hands on it. That's an excuse. That's an excuse not to work. That's an excuse not to use what he's given him. And the result was it being taken away from him and given to someone that already had it. Hear me tonight. If we hold inside of us what God has entrusted to us, It will die, and it will eventually be taken away from us. We have one purpose, and we have one purpose only, and that is to reach the lost at all costs. It is the kingdom. It is the business. 
of the kingdom. Can we can we just lift our hands one more time and and love the Lord right now? Would you have him touch your heart? If our musicians will get ready. We must reach the lost. I close with this illustration. And I promise you that I am not infatuated with Donald Trump. Several years ago, Donald Trump said this in an interview. This is a long time ago. He said, I'll be 36 next year. done everything I can do. Sometimes I think it was a mistake to have raced through it all so fast. What's the next level up? Grass isn't always greener. It pauses. I work and I I don't worry. How can you top that? It pauses. I protect myself as well as anybody can. He's asked about, what about death? He said, I prepare for things, but ultimately we all end up going. And he pauses. I don't believe in reincarnation, heaven, or hell, but we go someplace. Do you know? He asks the interviewer, I can't for the life of me figure out where. A man that has anything he wants at his fingertips. He can almost snap his finger and have anything he wants brought to him. He wants an answer to a question. Certainly he would have someone to answer it for him if he doesn't know it himself. But he asks, we all go someplace. Do you know? I can't for the life of me figure out where. If that's not the cry of the world around us, I don't know what is. I work and I don't worry. I protect myself as well as anybody can. I prepare for things But ultimately, we all end up going. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out where. Hear me tonight. We not only have an answer. We have the answer. (laughs) Let me say that again. And maybe someone will catch hold of that. We not only have an answer. But we have the answer. Answer, if you have been filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, you not only have an answer, you have the answer for the age-old question, what happens after all of this is over? And where am I going for the life of me? I can't figure it out. A man that would seemingly have everything he ever wanted stood and told that reporter it's not worth anything 
because I don't know where I'm going when it's all over and done with. So I end where we began. Occupy till I come. They came with a tent. (laughs) They came with their demands. And they came with their excuses as to why they couldn't go out and work themselves. But they could sit in a park and tell someone to give them what is owed to me. But eventually, it was never heard of again. In fact, if I hadn't have brought it up here tonight, perhaps none of you would have even had a thought about Occupy Wall Street. It was just a vapor. It was just a glimpse. It was entertainment on the news for several months. And eventually, all the tents were gone. All the demands were silent. And there was no one left standing. So how does this apply to me? And how does this apply to us here tonight? We can show up. I say this so respectfully. Please take this in the spirit that I say it in. We can show up with this. And this is right. We can show up and we can sit. And we can feel somehow like we've accomplished something because we showed up. We clapped our hands. We sang praises to God and we had a mighty move of God. Something happened. But when all this is gone and the lights are turned out, what am I doing to invest what God has placed into me into a lost and dying world? You see, we were not saved to feel some sense of entitlement. We were not saved to sit idly by and watch the world pass us by. We were saved to take this wonderful truth and this gospel to a lost and a dying world. You see, when the Lord returns and set his feet on the Mount of Olives, he's going to require something of me. And I don't want to just have in my hand just excuses for him as to why I did not use what he gave me. Maybe you don't feel this like I do right now. But I feel a burden of the Spirit of God not only now but in weeks and months. And maybe it's just me. Maybe God is just dealing with me. And if he is, I apologize to you. But when when Jesus returns, and he will, 
and he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, that is when the kingdom will be established and he will set up his earthly kingdom on this earth and he's going to require something of me. I'm going to stand before a judgment seat and this book is going to be opened before me and he's going to judge me out of that book. He told his servant, I'm going to judge you by your own words. You knew who I was. You knew what I was about. If you knew that, you'd have done what I told you to do. I don't know about you tonight, but when he returns, I want him to find me working. Not just sitting. Not just filled with excuses, but I want him to find me full of faith. And I want him to find me full of confidence in what his word says it will do. This word will change the lives of the people around us. This Holy Ghost inside of us will change the lives of the people around us. Hear me tonight. Seed is of little value until it's planted. And good news is only good when it is proclaimed. I want him to find me with my shoulder to the wheel working in the kingdom. Not sitting idly by just basking in the blessings of other people's walk with God. But I want my own walk with God. And I want to do a work for him and do what he's called me to do. He's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light that we would be a royal priesthood and proclaim this marvelous truth. Would you stand with me here this evening? I close with this. I'm thankful tonight that we don't have to wonder And we don't have to worry if his word will do what it says it will do. He's given this to us and entrusted us with his spirit and his word. And he says this, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper. It shall prosper in the thing whereinto I sent it. And so he promised to be with us always unto the end of the world. Amen. That amen means it's already settled and it's already done. Now all we have to do is obey his word. Can we lift our hands tonight? Can we lift our voices to heaven? And can we let the power of his presence and his spirit touch us tonight together? In the name of Jesus, we praise your holy name, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I ask you to have your way, Lord. Touch our hearts and our minds together. Help us to do your will, God, to perform and 
fulfill your purpose in the name of Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.